Sergeant Brady's Crime Pod is a true crime podcast that may discuss mature topics. Please listen at your own risk. A heads up on the audio on this one. It was too nice of a day to sit inside, so we recorded this on my porch. You can hear some dogs barking, some birds chirping, and my husband start up his truck. But I think the story prevails. On April 28, 1983, Scott Piosiewicz, age 27, and his 19-year-old sister-in-law, Susan Kennedy, were gunned down in a Baltimore County hotel known as the Warren House. 19 bullets were fired from a Mac 11. Both victims came to the shock trauma unit in Baltimore, DOA. Baltimore County homicide detectives would work with over 30 FBI and DEA agents to bring their murderers to justice. According to the Maryland Open Data Portal, Baltimore County has an average of 29.88 murders per year. In comparison, the neighboring city of Baltimore in recent years has had well over 300. So how did a county murder get such a presence of federal agents? Anthony Grandison has a criminal record starting as early as 1970, and by 1979, he was a Baltimore drug lord suspected of attempted murder of a federal witness. The witness was scheduled to testify against Walter Gangster Webster, the head of a multi-million dollar drug ring. Grandison was never charged for this crime. However, he was convicted of a felony prior to August of 1982. On August 6, 1982, less than a year before the Warren House murders, Grandison was released from prison after reaching his mandatory release date and placed on probation. Conditions of his probation included not leaving the Baltimore area. However, on November 1st of 1982, He was stopped at BWI Airport attempting to board a plane to Miami with a briefcase full of cash. He was questioned by Maryland State Police but refused to provide any answers or identification. Grandison was photographed and then released. The photograph was distributed to law enforcement officials including the Drug Enforcement Administration who had Grandison on their radar. They identified him as the man in the photo. His probation officer was notified and a warrant was issued for his arrest. A week later, Grandison had a friend rent him a room at the Warren House Hotel, and on November 9th, he arrived at the hotel with the key to room 219. Before heading to his room, Grandison chatted with hotel employees Scott and Cheryl Piosiewicz about the retirement of Sugar Ray Leonard. 
The following day, he reported to his probation office and was arrested. Upon his arrest, the U.S. Marshals searched his belongings, including the key to room 219. The items were then released to Grandison's assumed girlfriend. When Grandison's girlfriend, Janet Moore, showed up at the Warren House Hotel to collect the contents of room 219, Scott denied her access and contacted authorities. The FBI conducted a search of the room and discovered four ounces of heroin, four and a half ounces of cocaine, as well as a 38 Colt revolver and other drug paraphernalia. Just two months after his 30th birthday, Grandison was charged with two counts of possession with the intent to distribute and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. In March of 1983, during a preliminary hearing, both Scott and Cheryl identified Grandison as the man they spoke with in the lobby. They were scheduled to appear as a federal witness against Grandison in a trial to begin just three days after Scott's murder. The day after Scott and Susan were murdered, Andrew Manning, an FBI agent, was quoted in the Evening Sun paper calling the Grandison case the most significant one I've seen in five years in Baltimore. Detectives knew the killer had to be a member of Grandison's drug ring, but why was Susan Kennedy a victim of this crime, and who would be willing to kill a federal witness? Baltimore County detectives Ramsey and Duckworth were assigned to the case. They discovered Charlene Peaches Sparrow had obtained a room at the Warren House and also appeared on a visitor log at the Baltimore City Jail where Grandison was being held. Peaches was an acquaintance of Janet Moore. Peaches would later testify that she accompanied Janet and her boyfriend Vernon Evans to the jail to visit Grandison. Grandison made arrangements to pay Vernon Evans $9,000 to knock off Scott and Cheryl. On the day of the murders, Susan Kennedy, who was Cheryl's sister, was working in place of Cheryl at the Warren House Hotel. Susan was not a witness against Grandison and was shot by Evans in a case of mistaken identity. Grandison and Evans were both charged with first-degree murder and requested to move their trials outside of Baltimore County. The following is a paraphrased letter from the file of Sergeant Brady. The Baltimore County Department was solicited by the Baltimore County State's Attorney's Office for witness protection and transportation in the upcoming state's case charging Evans and Grandison with two homicides. Because of the former acts of violence associated with the case and the resultant impact on the witnesses scheduled to testify in the homicide trial, the assurance of witness safety was crucial to a successful prosecution. The threat to both witnesses and the police officers who were to trans them was very real. Anthony Grandison was known to have the monetary resources and contacts to once again organize the contract killings of key witnesses who would testify against him in this trial. 
It would be these witnesses for whom the Baltimore County Police would be responsible for delivering to courtrooms more than 150 miles from the Baltimore area. For Grandison and Evans, there would be nothing to lose in making an attempt against these people because the state was seeking the death penalty for both defendants. Due to the obvious danger, members of the Tactical Unit and Dignitary Protection Unit were selected for this detail and were advised that their assignments to Operation Atlantic would be strictly on a volunteer basis. These two units working in concert were given the task of assuring the protection and safe transportation of more than 20 state's witnesses. Operation Atlantic required multiple witnesses to be moved by land and air from Baltimore to courtrooms in Snow Hill and Princess Anne under the tightest security. Many of the witnesses were prisoners or hostile towards police and had to be tactfully addressed to assure the benefit to the state's case. Almost all of the witnesses were moved twice to testify at both trials, which were progressing simultaneously in Somerset and Worcester counties. The police were also accountable for 24-hour protection of the state attorneys in the Grandison trial. This was the first time that Baltimore County Police Department has undertaken a protection detail of such magnitude and duration. Furthermore, statewide police authority was granted to our officers assigned to Operation Atlantic. This was the first time that statewide arrest power has been granted to any local agency in the state of Maryland. The personnel assigned to Operation Atlantic were required to work long hours and on many occasions split their workdays to minimize overtime expense to the department. The offers voluntarily compliance to this request alone saved the department more than 400 overtime hours during their assignment. Some personnel were required to live away from their families for as long as four weeks, except for one day on weekends. Both the officers and their families gave unselfishly of their personal lives to support this critical task. The officers assigned to Operation Atlantic represented the Baltimore County Police Department in a most honorable fashion. Every witness was delivered punctually and safely without incident or intimidation by the persons charged. Because of their dedication, personal sacrifice, and exemplary performance, it was respectfully requested that the officers named on the attached sheet to be considered for a departmental unit citation. Among the list of officers listed for Operation Atlantic, you will find the name Officer Rose Miller. So during that time period, and I think that was what, from 82 to 85, I was yes. in the COPE unit as an officer. Prior to going into that unit, um, when I first came out of the academy, um, I was, I, I didn't realize it was a volunteer unit. I was told by my sergeant um, in Towson that I was going to be on this VIP unit, which is very important person unit. But basically it was a protection detail. Mostly at that time in 79, 80, 81, like those, that time period, that's actually what it was called. And who you were protecting were like politicians that were coming in to Baltimore County. Um, every once in a while, President of the United States would come into Baltimore County because Baltimore County's got certain citizens that have a lot of money and they'd come in with fundraisers. So we would um, team up with the Secret Service. And we were actually trained by the Secret Service um, early on when I first was volunteered for the unit. <laughs> and um, 
then we started training our own people and basically whenever the Secret Service came into Baltimore County we pretty much sometimes would even take the inner perimeter with inner perimeter with them because we were trained by them so they knew they could trust our department and our unit well then something horrendous happened in the 80s while I was in the COPE unit um, it basically was two people were murdered in a hotel in uh, area of the county and why I why they were murdered was because the contract killer had thought they were the two people he was supposed to target that were witnesses to a huge narcotics um, ring and um, the, the Warren House murders the Warren House murders and it was just a horrendous and I remember hearing about it when it happened because how could you not it was all in the papers because basically this guy went in with a um, basically what people would if they saw it would think it's a machine gun and basically well, that's what it was I think it was a Mac 10 if I got it right um, and he just it was a rain of bullets he it was the two people working there were supposed to be the husband and wife that were the hotel managers well what he ended up murdering was the husband and her sister because the wife had taken off and her sister was actually working for her because she needed to take off so he got the wit the one witness and the other one was just un unfortunately an innocent bystander but both of them were innocent i mean it was just a massacre and why the vip pretty much changed into the what's called now dignitary witness protection was pretty much from what i can remember was because of that because now once the homicide detectives who um, turned out to be one of them was detective you know bill ramsey by that point he was no longer a patrol car in Essex that I used to ride with as a cadet. He was now a detective in Homicide and his partner, Milton Duckworth. And they had that case. And they ended up clearing the case. They made the rest. They knew that it was all a hired contract um, from Grandison, who hired, planned the whole thing and orchestrated it all from prison. And it was to kill the two witnesses that were totally innocent, but they were witnesses to him going in and out of that hotel with the drugs. And um, so now you can imagine, now what are you going to do? Because you had quite a few witnesses involved that you needed to go to this homicide trial. And how are you going to protect them? And how are you going to guarantee you're going to protect them? Because two of them were just murdered by the same guy that you needed these people to testify against. So... Um, it was a huge operation. They called it Operation Atlantic that a major put together and um, Bobby. And it really was huge because the whole trial wasn't even in Baltimore County. They had a change of venue. Their lawyers got a change of venue and ended up in the Eastern Shore. So now the, the biggest problem was we had to get our witnesses safely back and forth from two different um, Eastern Shore courtrooms because one was the actual shooter, the murderer, and the other one was Grandison. So it entailed, um, I know my sergeant, Kenny, that was in the COPE unit too. He was also been in dignitary witness for years. And um, so he and I end up working that and a bunch of other officers and detectives that were obviously in the detail, volunteers in the detail, because basically I think the trials lasted like three weeks. And they came up with some really wild ways. I mean, we were literally, um, we, we were taking witnesses from Baltimore City and we were motorcading them to down to the Eastern Shore, like all the way down the Eastern Shore. And we'd 
that we'd have some witnesses, state attorneys that we would fly from, you know, Baltimore down to the Eastern Shore, back and forth. We had to keep people in hotels because, you know, they had to testify. It might have been a couple of days. So we had the whole floor of a hotel that was basically, it was just us. I mean, it was like secured with just us and our witnesses. So, I mean, it, it was a huge operation. And I would say it was successful because no one got hurt. No one even, I mean, we had tactical involved in it. They were up on the buildings down in uh they were part of the motorcades, and they were also up on the buildings of uh, in these small towns, you know, in the courthouse buildings. So if Grandison was going to try to get to kill any of these people, he didn't even come close because we had no incidents at all. And um, both um, the murderer and Grandison, who was basically the murderer, they were both found guilty. And I'm pretty sure, I'm, um, from what I remember, pretty sure that at the time they got the death penalty. But um, since then, obviously... Since Maryland doesn't execute anybody anymore, they just got life. Mm -hmm. But it was interesting and um, that that's how the VIP switched from doing politicians to something like that. But it was needed. I mean, it was absolutely needed. These these witnesses, I mean, and, and God love, you know, Ramsey and Duckworth because they had to convince these witnesses to even testify. And you can imagine. Mm -hmm. It's not like they didn't know what had happened to the previous witnesses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. The following is a paraphrased letter from the state's attorney for Baltimore County to the chief of the Baltimore County Police Department. Dear Chief, as I know you are aware, with the sentencing on Wednesday, June 6, 1984, of Anthony Grandison to death in the Maryland gas chamber, all trial proceedings involving the Warren House murder case are concluded. The four defendants involved in the planning and execution of the murder of the two innocent federal witnesses have been sentenced. Anthony Grandison, federal sentence, life plus 10 years, State sentence, double death, plus life, plus 20 years consecutive to the federal sentence. Vernon Evans, federal sentence, life, plus 10 years. State sentence, double death, plus life, plus 20 years consecutive to the federal sentence. Rodney Kelly and Janet Moore were also sentenced to 50 years. With the imposition of the above sentence, it is hard to imagine a more successful prosecution. The success of this pro prosecution is attributed in large measure to the excellent work done by members of your department in the investigation, preparation for the trial, and presentation of witnesses in the various courts where these trials were held. In the investigation area, Detectives Ramsey and Duckworth exhibited the professionalism for which the Baltimore County Police Homicide Squad has become known. It was interesting to me to hear the remarks of the FBI agents involved in the investigation regarding the performance of these two detectives. Uniformly, their work was held in high regard. Quite frankly, I think some of these agents were surprised by the thoroughness and expertise brought to the investigation by Detectives Duckworth and Ramsey. In the area of the case presentation, it was very valuable to have these two knowledgeable detectives present throughout the trials, which were held on the Eastern Shore. I sincerely appreciate your making them available to the prosecution teams. 
the death penalty trials of Anthony Granison and Vernon Evans would have been impossible to present were it not for the logistical support given by the officers in Operation Atlantic. Every law enforcement officer and prosecutor in this state recognized the actions of these defendants as a serious attack on the criminal justice system of our country. It was important in maintaining confidence in law enforcement that this crime be solved quickly and that the individuals involved be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. Because of the hard work of the members of the Baltimore County Police Department, both of these results were obtained. In 2013, Governor Martin O'Malley signed a bill abolishing Maryland's death penalty. And in 2014, he commuted the sentences of all four death row inmates, including Grandison and Evans. What's going on? Let your mother know. Your mother wants to know. She's an inquiring mind. Mind. Is it mine or mind? <laughs> it's all in good service. See you.